This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Sport coaching is an incredibly complex endeavor, and the ways coaches work can have a profound impact on athletes' experiences, identities, and meaning they assign to sport. While many disciplines have contributed to the scientific knowledge base, informing coach education and practice, our guest today argues that true integration of these perspectives has been missing. Today, we will explore the possibilities of developing a truly transdisciplinary perspective, and especially focus on what sociocultural perspectives can contribute to these conversations. Dr. Christian Thurbjörndal is an associate professor at the Department of Sport and Social Sciences at the Norwegian School of Sport Sciences. Christian's work has focused on interdisciplinary perspectives on athlete learning and development, with a special emphasis on sociocultural perspectives and ecological dynamics. We have the opportunity to look into some of the latest work he has produced on these topics today. Welcome to the podcast, Christian. It's nice to see you again. Thank you, Nora. It's great to be here. I wanted to come on the show a year ago. We've been discussing this for so long, so it's it's great to finally get an appointment. Yeah, and I mean, your work has also evolved since we uh, first started talking about this idea. And you just yesterday sent me something that you called the rant of yours. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> On developing a transdisciplinary approach to sport coaching. So I think it will be a, a great discussion to explore that further. But so let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, for our listeners, I think it will be just nice to have a little bit of a background information to a little bit about your own journey as a researcher. You are have been working as a coach yourself and how this personal background has led you to work in this area. So uh, let's start at the beginning then. So I am a product of the Norwegian School of uh, Sports Sciences. I came here uh, as a 19-year-old straight out of high school uh, in 2004 uh, and didn't, didn't really know my way around, but thought that sports, sports science sounded, sounded fun and interesting. I was a handball player at the time uh, and, and started studying here. And then one thing led to the other. So I have my bachelor's degree in sports coaching. I was uh, playing handball and, and then started coaching and, and developing into um, or, or started working professionally as a coach when I was, when I was uh, doing my undergrad here and then went into the master's program in sports coaching. Uh, and, and 
kind of started teaching at the university while I, while I still was a student. Um, and for 10 years or so, I was working professionally as a handball coach here in Norway and uh, did a lot of different things. I was involved in strength and conditioning. I was involved in performance analysis. I was involved with specialized coaching, uh, especially with goalkeepers, but also as a, as a club coach. I was uh, the sports director in, in one of our large sports school programs here in Oslo for humble players and, and still then uh, continued teaching at the university. Uh, and in 2012, I, I got the opportunity to come back here and, um, and do a PhD on, on talent development in, in Humble uh, and, and continued working as a coach while I was doing my PhD uh, and then kind of toned down the coaching bit of it uh, these last years uh, and, and continued into a postdoctoral position and now uh, a tenure position as an associate professor. Uh, and it's been an interesting journey because it's kind of, I, I think I've, I've been around a lot, yeah, at least here in Norway. So uh, I've, I've been working in practice and, and kind of developed through practice, but, but with my foot in academia as well, it's, uh, and, and then doing sports coaching, which is basically uh, trying to figure out a little thing, a little bit about everything. It's kind of what kind of, Starts and started tying all of these pieces together is is kind of been my main motivation then, and then my thinking has evolved as well. So I was really focused on talent development and skill acquisition, and and then uh, these last years, especially, it's just like you know, I think the world is just kind of um, opening up uh, has opened up to me and in, uh, in, in different ways. So my thinking now is is. Uh, it's basically broader than it was uh, some years back. And I think that is maybe my my part of the puzzle here at the Norwegian School of Sports Science is, is trying to tie all of these pieces together uh, within this broader frame of, of how sports can, um, can be a, a positive influence for, for youth and, uh, and children and youth and, and, and adults as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned that your own thinking has evolved quite a bit. And now in the recent writings that you've produced in the last couple of years, and you are increasingly looking at, for example, the power dynamics in coaching and more of this sociological, sociocultural perspectives, including the critical perspectives to coaching. Can you maybe uh, trace back, like, what were the key influences um, that have taken you into that direction? Um, so I think when I was doing my PhD, it was really focused on, on talent development. And it was, uh, I think the, the main kind of project was, or the underlying project was, was doing talent development better. Uh, so we started critiquing some of the literature on talent development. It wasn't really contextual. So, uh, it really didn't fit with, with how sport is organized in Norway. Uh, models of skill acquisition was, was flawed. Maybe we could critique that a bit. Um, and, and, but, but it wasn't really a very detailed and nuanced and, uh, and more in-depth understanding of how knowledge is produced and practiced. Um, it was, it was, 
is was basically focused on on using better science to produce better results. And I think the production here is kind of a key term. And or thinking in these ways of of, of of production. And then I was fortunate enough, so when I uh, when I was gonna uh, when I when I submitted my thesis and was defending my thesis here, uh, my second opponent was uh, a professor called Jim Dennison, who's become a, a good friend of mine since then. And I remember Jim was here before we asked him to sit in the committee, and I, I really didn't know his work beforehand. Uh, and he was giving a lecture uh, for, for some of our academic staff here. It was a small group, and he was talking about this, this um, uh, late French philosopher uh, whose name was Foucault. And, and I remember going out of that lecture and thinking, that, wow. I've, I've come across this, this Foucault guy uh, some time before, but I really didn't understand how, what he was trying to communicate, and this, and, and this was it. So Jim kind of simplified something that was really, really uh, uh, came across as eclectic and, and, uh, and, and too kind of difficult for me to grasp, uh, and it was... It was this, prof at least uh, from, from, from in hindsight, it was this profound mo moment that kind of opened up my thinking. And then it, it took some time to evolve. So it wasn't until after uh, I've kind of um, defended my thesis and, and I started working here and Jim and I started to collaborate on some teaching projects and stuff like that, that this kind of, uh, and, and I started digging deeper into the literature um, that um, that this kind of development occurred to me. And then thinking with Foucault has given me a, a way of grasping how, how, how the production of uh, systems of thought and, and knowledge especially um, influences, practice, influences our practice and how this entanglement of, of practice and power and, and, uh, and knowledge uh, is, is kind of inter, intertwined. So, uh, so and and thinking then with with social cultural theory and especially with Foucault has has become kind of like a basic backdrop for for from for some of the more empirical research that we're doing now. And I think it it's a way of thinking about how knowledge shapes practice that is very very fruitful for our coaches to get exposed to early. Uh, and if we if we can. Uh, simplify um that message and without without throwing the baby out with the bathwater then then it has profo profound impact on gaining this criticality that i really really think that our students need to evolve because what we do when we we train them in sports science uh they they get exposed to really a very narrow frame of 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 what is what is right, what is correct, what is normal, uh, what is most effective, uh, and and so on. And then you can pick it apart. You and 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 most of the stuff that we're doing, you can really pick everything apart. And that doesn't mean that everything is wrong. It just means that if if you don't gain that level of criticality. Uh, the the scope of of what's possible could be becomes a very very narrow and and sometimes very instrumental uh, 
way of, of, of thinking and, and doing sports coaching and athlete development. Mm -hmm. And some of those ideas that you've now talked about are coming together in this recent book chapter that you've just sent me. The title was Transforming Coach Education for the 21st Century. And so basically the problem that you highlight here uh, in the chapter and also what we discussed so far is that we have this fragmented knowledge basis. So we have the more natural science research and then we have the social science and the more critical social science such as uh, Jim Dennison's work. And so in coach education, they don't really come together or they don't uh, work together. So let's talk about a little bit about that chapter. What are you trying to achieve with this recent work? Well, I think so. Th so this was a great opportunity to, to kind of pin down some of or, or uh, how, how my thinking has evolved and, and where it is now. And hopefully in a, in a year or two or or so or some more years it's it's going to develop further so i think our our critique was to, uh, has has kind of two legs so uh one was that understanding that we're so coming from, from from a practical perspective here in norway uh we've never had more research into sports coaching into sports science into sports injuries for example Uh, and injuries is in, in particular an interesting example because where the world where 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 probably have one of the greatest um, sports medicine and injury research centers here at at the Norwegian School of Sports Science, and then uh, coming from a sport uh, called handball where everybody is injured uh, all, all most of the time, it's a great example of how we, we produce all of this knowledge or we produce this this kind of scientific knowledge. And we've never had more knowledge, and there's never been more humble players being injured. So uh, on one hand, we're 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 doing all of this stuff, trying to tackle a, a, a problem, and it really doesn't it just it just doesn't work for what reason uh, we can one can discuss, but but at least uh, it doesn't work. So 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 I think that the practical problem is that we have we have some issues of of injuries. Um, of other like uh, negative outcomes of sport participation, it's it's relative. I think that thing is things are quite good here in Norway, but but still you see a, see a lot of the same examples that you uh, you see in uh, in other countries as well. There's uh, kids being abused. Um, it, it it's hopeful. It doesn't mean physical abuse. Um, necessarily but but there's kids getting negative experiences from sports we have a huge problem of dropout uh and and it doesn't mean that sports are bad it just means that sports aren't attractive enough for for those kids that were actually trying to get involved we have social issues about uh relating to participation and who can participate and who quits and uh and who continues and so on we have um Eating, we have a lot of um, some some great concerns about eating disorders and elite sport in Norway these last couple of months, uh, and and kind of trying to pin that down. To me, it's a lot of those issues happen because it becomes too much, too fast, too hard, too soon. And when I look at who, when I look at who, uh, kind of uh, this idea of who's out, out opting out of sports. Uh, 
we kind of we have some uh, great research done from some colleagues of mine here, where I think most of those reasons for dropping out can be related to this idea of sports becoming too much, too soon, too hard, too intense, very little flexibility. Either you're on the carousel or you're or you're not, and you have to really, really uh, commit yourself at an early age. And if you if you don't commit yourself at at this quite high level, then it's difficult to kind of continue to participate. So for those who's less ambitious, uh, I think they they we're losing them um, too soon. And I think that some of them would would have continued if, if sports was was organized in a more flexible and more uh, genuinely athlete centered way. Um, and then from my work on talent development. It's basically the same issue. So uh, when I've been working with really, really, really ambitious kids who's training a lot, who's highly dedicated, motivated, they would outscore uh, uh, outscore every scale we could measure or test or observe them on. It's it's still the same reasons for, for why a lot of them kind of end up burned out, uh, demotivated or injured or just just loses meaning. So, so in kind of both both ends of the scale, I think we're losing kids because of how sport is organized, basically, and how we coach and how we do sports coaching and how we do sports, and and thinking about uh, this idea of flexibility and and kind of countering this too much, too hard, too soon idea is 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 an incredibly important issue uh, from both the, a research standpoint and also a practical standpoint. And then we're thinking about that then and, and the idea that we, we have all of this research, all of this knowledge, there's something in, in my from my perspective at least that's that's quite wrong. So why is it that we have all this knowledge but we still have the same issues and some of these issues are accelerating. They're not inc- decreasing, they're increasing. And then from that, I think my thinking has taken a leap to kind of understand how, how also our knowledge kind of constraints and limits our understanding in practice in sports. And, and then when I met Jim uh, and his group uh, and some of the others working from, from kind of a post-structuralist perspective, it kind of opened up my eyes to how a lot of the things I do as a coach is really, really influenced from quite different domains and has a long social, historical and cultural history that you can trace back to industrial revolution and how you organized, how you organized workers and how, how these ideas of how work should be effective and productive and maximizing, uh, maximizing profit and, and really not about meaningful sport or uh, sport development or, or anything that we're actually trying to do now. Um, some of these practices that we do have, have come from from military practices and and how we organize institutions with with like uh, with a long long history of of having both productive effects but also a long series of negative effects and I think it kind of hit me really hard because I could because I was I I was coaching I was organizing practice I was maximizing control trying to maximize effic- uh, efficiency. And, and gaining this, these productive results and seeing then kind of how 
how how implicitly my thinking and doing was really really influenced from from something that I at least had to take a step back from and really think think a bit critically about. So understanding then sports legacy and 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 how a lot of stuff we do actually where where it comes from was kind of an eye opener for me. And to for to me then and, and kind of building on Chip's work is. It's a lot of it has to do about control, about observation, uh, about monitoring and discipline, right? So, and and I think the big question is that discipline can be productive, control can be productive, efficient and and monitoring observation can be productive as well. But a lot of the time, it, it has to do or or it it focuses on giving me more control as a coach. It's not about getting that or getting the athletes more involved. It's it's me who's, who's getting more control. It's me as a coach who's um, who's um, getting uh, a better viewpoint to observe and control and measure and test and 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 so on. And problematizing that is is I think um, increasingly important. I think we see it at, at both the structural and an institutional and at an individual level as well. So, uh, so when I think about how we monitor and test, that is how I think about observation at, at both an individual and a group and a kind of a, like an institutionalized level as well. How we think about developmental ladders or progression plans or athlete development models and stage-based linear models is, is another great example of how we kind of institutionalize these same ideas. And then at a systemic level, academy classification reports, which is basically very popular now, especially in football. We have one in Norway. It's this uh, kind of systemic example of it. And it influences how we learn to coach and how I actually do sports coaching on the field. I think I'm, I've done most of the things I'm now more critical about so so I think that I actually can put some heart into it when I when I now can see how my practice also was at least limiting to some extent or for someone uh, when I was uh, when I was coaching full time and then so that was that's one leg of the critique I think and then understanding this and thinking critically about this is really really important and it's not about that it it's not about this being necessarily wrong or or always negative or or, or or whatever, but but I think that understanding that this way of organ uh, this way of streamlining this way of narrowing down of um, homogenization. I don't know if I, I pronounced that entirely correct in English, but kind of making things more the same is basically something that really doesn't hit well when you think about athlete development and learning as nonlinear and complex and dynamic and something that was always involving and unique and individual. And if you go to pedagogy, if you go to uh, motor skills, uh, motor skill research, you, it, it's, 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 it's a great consensus about uh, at least learning not being uh, that a linear model of learning is probably something that limits our thinking and doing more than it kind of enables it. Mm-hmm. And that, so that's one leg of it. And then the other leg then is this idea of how we organize knowledge into this model of sports science. So when you go and study sports coaching at the Norwegian school of sports science, you learn that there's a lot of different things that are important something uh, we call biomechanics, some other things we call exercise physiology, some other things we call sports sociology or history or philosophy, 
there's uh, sports psychology, there's performance analysis, there's all of these bits and pieces that everybody agrees that are important. And then we produce basically this large framework of different bits and pieces that are important for sports performance, but nobody took that or made the effort to kind of put all of these pieces together into a comprehensive whole. And I think the production of science then is, is, is something that has led to this. And with more science, it just becomes more bits and pieces. pieces. And very few people actually attend to the kind of totality or, 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 or the whole puzzle. And I think it's become a huge problem for, for it's a problem for, uh, it's, it's difficult for us as researchers to integrate our research. And it's an, a huge problem for practice. Because it just becomes either it becomes it becomes noise, or it takes our it, it it shifts our attention from what is really happening, what is really important in practice, and on and and raise the level of abstractions, and then it just divides our attention onto all of these bits and pieces that kind of at least doesn't fit very well when everybody agrees that sports coaching should be holistic and. Uh, and uh, athlete-centered and, and autonomy-supportive and, and, and so on. And I think it's, it's a great example of how knowledge shapes what is, what is correct, our, our frame of reference, our frame of understanding, and how we think and do. It shapes what we're concerned with. Because I learned in my exercise physiology class how I, how I can test and monitor and evaluate and develop this singular physical capacity that we call uh, aerobic uh, capacity, for example. And then uh, it shapes then how I, how I train. So if, I, if I've come through this, this kind of production of knowledge myself, it shapes how I train and it shapes how I coach. It shapes how we think about uh, work capacity and um, uh, about uh, performance in sport because we've divided then performance. We're taking football performance or handball performance or running performance and this just divided it into these, these bits and pieces. It shapes how we organize coach education because coach education has now at least implicitly been organized in these different boxes. You go to a two hour module in sports psychology and then the next day we're doing performance analysis and and so on, and it shapes how we organize our, our, our knowledge institutions as well. It's the same departments, it's the same model that, uh, that are similar to the same departments we have had here at the Norwegian School of Sports Science. And if I go 200 meters uh, uphill, it's the Olympic Center, and their training department is not one training department, it's divided into these same bits and pieces. And Working with athletes, elite athletes in Norway, then if some of them are lucky enough, maybe they get sponsored by the Olympic Center. And then they are gaining a support team of experts from the Olympic Center that are going to facilitate their development even further. And then the, the horror example of them, the, then would be then that some of them, um, you, you, you come there to get help on a Monday and you meet an expert in sports nutrition and you get a sports nutrition pl nutritionist plan for how you're supposed to eat and recover and so on. And then on the next day, you meet the expert in, in, uh, of strength training and you get a strength training pro pro program. On Wednesday, you go to the sports psychologist, you get a mental skills preparation program. 
And on Thursday, you're supposed to meet the expert on uh, sprinting performance or agility or, or, or whatever. Or, and on Friday, you're meeting with the sports medicine department and going to teach you something about injury rehabilitation or, or injury reduction or injury prevention programs or whatever. And then the list kind of goes on. And then coming out there on, on, on a Friday afternoon or sun, Saturday or Sunday, potentially someone has given you six, seven, eight, nine, ten training programs that are going to help you uh, become a better athlete. And I, I'm not saying that it works. And uh, this is kind of it, I'm, I'm pinpointing this uh, as, as, as a horror example of how it could go down. It doesn't go. Unfortunately, it doesn't go down there. This all of the time uh but but i've seen some examples of it this and it's like it's just this is that diametrical opposition to kind of holistic thinking or integrated thinking it just it's just a, a perfect example of how we fragmentate uh the training process and then being interested in so i i, I consider myself a social scientist uh but i have a huge interest in in training theory and and kind of uh, thinking then we with these two two different hats has has kind of led me to this understanding that our model that we base our our sports science model if we can that we base practice and teaching and and thinking on is 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 is, is uh, this fragmentation is really really limiting it's limiting our understanding and then some some with some kind of magic one we're supposed to put everything that's supposed to just tie everything together in the end and it just doesn't work that way and then thinking with Foucault again then I'm it it's, it's that or the, these ties between knowledge and practice they're not natural right they're they're they've kind of developed or emerged through 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 in specific social cultural and historical context so they could always be contested they could always be different it doesn't mean that they're not productive it doesn't mean that they're wrong it just means that they're not it's, it's not the whole story if you look at middle distance runners we have uh, a series of brothers in Norway who's, who's some of the best in the world and their training is 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 it is at least it, it looks quite structured uh, they're they're being observed. They're being tested. They're being measured. They're using their lactate thresholds to to develop their training programs and so on. And they get really, really, really good results. But then going to some of the other uh, places in the world where great middle distance runners actually emerge and develop, there in in Kenya, for example, in in, in the Rift Valley and in Eton, it's like that their training process is not influenced by the same influences that influence these guys training in, in here in Western Norway, yeah. but they become really, really good and fast runners as well. So it's just, it's just speed. It doesn't mean that one thing is better than the other. It just means that we have to kind of open up our thinking about all of the possibilities that are actually out there to kind of nurture sports performance and development and participation. Um, in football, it's the same, right? So there's one one time, at least uh, some of the times, there's a good professional football player coming out of an English uh, Premier League academy in football. But then there's there's this kid playing on the streets in Brazil or on a dirt pitch in Africa, and they're they're some of the best football players in the world, world as well. So this idea of just structuring everything more 
And if we can just in, introduce more hyperstructure, it's going to become better. It's, it's kind of, I think, one of the biggest political issues that we really, really need to fight or at least introduce this kind of criticality uh, when we're thinking and doing it. Yeah. I think the horror example of, you know, every day there is a new specialist telling you what to do. I think it's a big paradox in this sense of the dominant discourse is that we are moving towards athlete-centered and holistic yeah. approach and empowering athletes. That's one big thing that Jim also talks about in his work that, you know, is that really happening? Because on the other hand, athletes have very little control over like their life has been given over to all of these specialists that all come to tell them what you know what they have to do and in terms of this meaning in sport finding or not finding meaning in sport that's probably one thing that none of these specialists actually didn't ask definitely is, is this pathway and what they are going towards and what they're doing is that meaningful for that person who is at the center of of all of this. But so I think my important question then is that you strive obviously much more towards interdisciplinary and then transdisciplinary discussions. And if you come in and you would say that, hey, this Foucault guy thinks that maybe we need to examine the power structures here and think about consequences of this power structure. What do your colleagues say in the physiology and sports medicine department? Are you having those conversations? Well, we're, we're actually starting to have them now. And I've been here for uh, seven, uh, well, yeah, actually 17 years soon. Uh, so, uh, so and, and in 17 years, we've at least now started to open that kind of uh, Pandora's box and, and really uh, at least starting having the conversation. And I think this is about power and, and who's in position as well, right? Because it's it's part of uh, me being in this position that I actually am, am in, that, uh, or are in, is in, yeah, uh, something, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I actually can influence this kind of, uh, or, or this development. So we have an interdisciplinary group now, basically with most of the biomechanics, or some of the biomechanics and people mm-hmm. come from exercise physiology, uh, that have come to the realization that we actually need to update and maybe rewrite our basic introduction to sports science. So our uh, in Norwegian Tredningslade, which is basically that more of the kind of like the practical side of, of, of sports science, is is something that that is kind of uh, a bit outdated and doesn't fit with with uh, contemporary understandings of, of, of learning and development and, and skill acquisition and exercise mm-hmm. physiology and biomech- functional biomechanics as well. Yeah. So, um, and I think that, but I think what you need is you actually know the language and, and read up, uh, you actually need to do the reading in these different disciplines if you want to have this conversation. So what we're going to kick off now is see if we can get a book project launching, basically with the motivation of, of getting better teaching material here, uh, but also something that could lead to uh, a way of uh, uh, two things, updating our sports science knowledge, because a lot of it is outdated. I read some of the basic introduction to sports science literature just a couple of weeks ago, and it's still 
the ideas of the golden age of motor learning or of linearity and stuff like that is still something that profoundly impacts how, how this this come across and, and the thinking it, it produces. And then this other idea of needing something to tie all of this together. Um, and then if you come at it, if you come at a, a critique from a scientific, uh, from a science, start, from, starting from science criticizing science, I think it's better, better to, it's easier to get some of these people coming from the natural sciences along. Uh, and then kind of, uh, teasing in, in a practical sense, or an understanding of how power shapes knowledge and practice and how power or knowledge and practice is shaped and emerges through power dynamics and, and, and through social and, and emerges in specific social and, and historical and cultural contexts is something then that you can kind of apply to kind of broaden their thinking. And I think there we're at some real, uh, uh, we're at a really interesting point in time where, where some of this stuff is actually getting more, uh, uh, getting a bit more grip and, and, and traction and, and something is, I, I think the potential for something actually meaningful uh, and, and science, sports science here happening is, is, is good. But ask me in some years and we can kind of evaluate how this, this goes. Uh, and I think that, but, but I think it's really, really necessary to open up this discussion across, uh, if, if, across these, these binary dimensions like natural and social sciences, right? Because in 2021, it's very difficult for me uh, to know what's what. So where does the social start and where does the natural start? Where, 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 and, and, and yeah. thinking in these binaries is, is something that, that really, really limits our attention. And it's been criticized from a natural, um, from the natural sciences. If you go into this field of ecological dynamics, that has had a huge impact on my thinking and how I think about, um, uh, skill development, uh, in sport and how I practice, how I organize practice. It's, it's, it's kind of the same critique uh, against these binaries and, and diametrical oppositions that are artificial or at least socially produced that you would find when you go into the, the, the literature on social theory and, and some of the, uh, the criticism coming for, from there. But I don't think we really have the tools yet to kind of bridge this gap together. And I think that's, that, that is one of the major next steps for 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 those working within this understanding of transdisciplinarity or interdisciplinarity being one of the most important issues to actually move practice forwards as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that we should update on things. I think you are onto something there. It will take some time to you know have these dialogues and move thinking forward. I think in a few years we'll surely have another. <laughs> discussion in terms of where this is going definitely um, yeah i'm conscious the time is running so um let's finish up for the first part thanks so much for the discussion so far a tiny break and then we move to discuss your recent empirical work uh, which really shows some of these dilemmas that we've talked about so far so yeah thank you thanks for joining us this week on physical activity research through podcast if you like the show Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support.
If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.